Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. This is October, the month of October. Let's not forget that this is the month that we are devoted most especially and dedicated to the Holy Rosary. This is one of the best known of all Catholic devotions. And October also includes the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. That was on October 7th. And uh, the best way to celebrate this month is, of course, to pray the Rosary every single day. Uh, Let's bring back that tradition back to the Catholic Church. Let's bring back that tradition before daily Mass in every single Catholic parish. Uh, I have personally found that... uh, Praying the rosary every day brings a, brings a real calming effect to the soul. Also, just want to just continue to remind you, let's continue praying for the peace in, in uh, the Holy Land. Uh, we're at war right now. And as Catholics, there's a lot of Catholics that, uh, uh, that live in Palestine, a lot of Catholics that live in Israel proper. And uh, let's pray for the safety of everybody in Israel, the, the uh, Palestinians, uh, the innocent Muslims there that are caught in between this war, the Israelis and all the all the Catholics and uh, and Protestants that live out there in the Holy Land, let's pray for an end to this war, and uh, and let's continue to uh, you know f- heed the calls of Our Lady of Fatima of prayer, fasting, and penance. Well, <clears throat> speaking about uh, the reason why there's insurrection and why there's wars, I would say that the reason we have such anarchy in our country and in the world at large is because most people don't know the Ten Commandments. In fact, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but right now, you that are listening, can you stop right now and recite the Ten Commandments from one to ten in order? Okay? You don't have to raise your hand. Just asking the question. The Ten Commandments are, 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 are basically uh, our lifeline to heaven. This is what God has given us. They're not suggestions. They're not opinions. They're not, uh, you know, like insights for living. These are the commandments of God. And a lot of people say, well, if, if, if I follow the commandments, I'm not going to have freedom. Quite the contrary. Uh, following the commandments is going to give you a freedom unlike anything you've ever found before. In other words, Jesus Christ has set us free, and this freedom is the ability to do what we ought to do, not what we want to do. You find that when you do what you want to do, that's, that's called Luciferian thinking. One of the main, one of the main verses in, uh, the Lucif- in the Satanic Bible is, do what thou wilt, that is the whole of the law. Well, speaking about the Ten Commandments, there's a young man that I've known for years. His name's Arturo Ortiz. He just wrote a book. It's called the Ten Commandments, simplified and explained. And uh, in my opinion, I mean, he uh, he went right for the jugular for the jugular vein. This is exactly what most Americans don't know any longer. They don't know the Ten Commandments. Most parents don't know the Ten Commandments. Most Catholics don't know the Ten Commandments. And so I think this book is very relevant for the for the for the day for the for the time that we live in right now. And so. I met Arturo several years ago. I probably about ten years ago. He was in his teens. Now he's in his late twenties. Still a young man. 
He lives in Southern California. He holds a bachelor's degree in history. He's also an active member of a, of a, of a great Catholic men's group out in Southern California. It's called the Brotherhood of St. Dismas. And he's also the director of outreach for young Catholic professionals of Orange County. This, it's another an, uh, outstanding group out there. And his main interest, basically, is evangelization. Every, ever since I've known this young man, he just wants to evangelize and share the faith and catechize people. But uh, he's a good writer. He's a good speaker. And uh, he, he's also involved in video production on various matters about the Catholic faith. And he just came out with his first book, which I'm sure it's going to be one of many. It's called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. Arturo, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, th- uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I remember you when you were a, t- a teenager. And I can see that fire in your eyes as a teenager and uh, now you're in your late 20s. You're still a young man, and you still haven't lost that fire in your belly. So good for you. Uh, we, we, need, we need more and more people like Arturo Ortiz. Hey, let's talk a little bit about your book, Arturo. I mean, I just, kind of, I just prefaced uh, my remarks by saying that, unfortunately, most people in the country don't know the Ten Commandments. Most Americans that would call themselves either Catholics or Protestants, if you ask them to narrate the Ten Commandments, they don't know them. And... Uh, <clears throat> It, it reminds me, back in the 50s, I think people knew the Ten Commandments more, and I'll tell you why. Because back in the 50s, a very famous movie came out called The Ten Commandments. I don't know yeah. if you've ever seen it. You've probably seen it, right? It's it's an old movie, but it was well done. It was, it was done in 1956, back when you can trust Hollywood films. It was produced by Cecil B. DeMille, and uh, I've actually read that The Ten Commandments was the, the fifth most financial successful film of all time in Hollywood. And they usually show, by the way, on television during the Easter season. So if you haven't seen that version of the Ten Commandments, you could watch it right around Easter season. <clears throat> now, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why this is this uh, the Ten Commandments is so important because the Ten Commandments was written for everybody. So uh, and, and, and most people think, nah, just it's just written for the Jews. We'll get into all those questions right now with Arturo. But Arturo, can you tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I, I mentioned two or three things about you. Uh, is there something else that the audience uh, would you like to share with the audience about yourself? I think you covered most of it. Um, I'm 29. Um, I live in Southern California. I've been involved with the Brotherhood for about 10 years or so. Um, I started with the Brotherhood when I was uh, 18. Um, and my main interests have always been writing and speaking. Um, and then, yeah, I hope this is just one of many books that I plan on writing. I plan on writing uh, different books, uh, mostly to kind of help explain and simplify the faith yeah. uh, in various aspects. Um, yeah, I just recently graduated from Cal State Fullerton. Um, I am actually trying to save up to get a master's degree, hopefully from Holy Apostles uh, through their online program. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, great college. That's a great college, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, I don't well, know if you want to uh, get into uh, why I wrote the book to begin that, with. That was my next question. So what got you into writing this book of all the things that you can talk about in the Catholic faith? Why did you write the book, The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained? Yeah, so there's two main reasons. The The first one is I've already been kind of planning to write a series of books. I've been doing a lot of research in various aspects, uh, one of which uh, we'll get into, it's the natural law. Um, 
I was actually approached a few weeks ago. Um, so the Brotherhood of St. Dismas and one of their new chapters for uh, for Long Beach, you probably know our uh, our acquaintance, uh, uh, Tony Acosta, he approached me uh, to give a talk specifically on the Ten Commandments. And uh, as I was preparing to talk, I realized that uh, this talk can be applied to the natural law in general. And I've noticed that this is a topic that many people are not very familiar with, even though it's a universal concept and applies to all mankind. You know, it's not just a Catholic thing, a Jewish thing, but it's something that's applicable based uh, simply because we exist and we live in a rational, you know, orderly universe that God created. Um, and it's funny uh, that you mentioned right at the talk how uh, in the interview that you know, um, prayer has a calming effect on the soul. And the reason I mentioned that it's because, you know, we live in a society or we live in a world that is both supernatural and natural. And so when you pray, for example, you know, that's obviously you're communicating with God and that helps us with our supernatural problems. Uh, there's also actually uh uh, proven that when you pray, you release dopamine. So it helps oh, yeah. with anxiety, even from a natural oh, yeah. level. So I guess this ties to the talk uh, or the interview as well, and how that's true, even in re regards to God's universe in general. You know, there's the, uh, so in, in regards to God, there, uh, there's three main laws, you know, there's the eternal law, which is God's knowledge of all events and his divine providence. There's a, a God's divine positive law, which is kind of like salvation history. But what we're getting into this talk, it's the natural law, which is our participation in in uh, God's eternal law. So, yeah, I think that's why I wrote the book, uh, to explain more about how the Ten Commandments are something that people can know, even if they're not Catholic. Um, obviously, the Ten Commandments were given to us by God in tablet form for our benefit. But in general, there are things that if we have a right use of reason, we can understand and know. That's right. So let me tell you, and let me ask you a little bit about your professional background. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, as we mentioned, I have a bachelor's degree in uh, history from Cal State Fullerton. But apart from that, um, I've been a, uh, uh, seriously studying the faith since I kind of came back uh, since I was uh, 18. Um, and a lot of the uh, kind of the content that I've read, uh, I mean, there's a lot of it, but I would say I mostly focused on reading the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, I like philosophy, so. Hold that thought, uh, Arturo. Hold that thought. Yeah. Jesus 911, we'll be right back talking with Arturo Ortiz about his new book, The Ten Commandments. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we're talking to Arturo Ortiz. He wrote a book. It's called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. We're going to be putting a, a, uh, a picture of the book right on the screen right now. So you can take a look at the book and you can order the book. This is, this is a very timely book because I'll tell you... Uh, most people don't realize 
that the Ten Commandments was given to us by God for everybody, not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. And uh, some people may say, well, I don't know the Ten Commandments. I haven't memorized them. Well, the Ten Commandments have been put in your heart as well. It's called the natural law. St. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And so I just got a challenge to everybody who's listening to the show today. Memorize the Ten Commandments. If you don't know them, print them out, put them on your, in your refrigerator, put them in your bedroom, on the mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning or you shave, uh, and just put a, put a copy of the Ten Commandments there. Recite them every day in your morning prayer or your evening prayer until you memorize them. It's simple. You'll memorize them in two or three days, and then you'll remember, the, you'll remember them for the rest of your life. So Arturo, tell us, you're telling us a little bit about your professional background, and once you share that... Uh, uh, yeah, then tell us a little bit about, give us a, a working definition or a basic definition of nat, what is the natural law. But tell us a little bit about your professional background, then give us a definition on what is the natural law. Yeah, uh, so my professional background, uh, as I, uh, we mentioned in the beginning, I do have a bachelor's degree in history from Cal State Fullerton, kind of uh trying to work towards either a philosophy or theology degree from Holy Apostles. And then apart from that, um, a lot of it, it's just self-education since I was 18, since I came back to the faith uh, and just reading a lot of the writings of the church, but with an, I mean, like the catechism, uh, various councils of the church encyclicals, but also with a specific emphasis on the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas as well as Aristotle, which I think both go hand in hand specifically with the topic of natural law. Since, I mean, uh, Aquinas writes about theology, but he also writes uh, a lot about the nature of God and, and his working creation. So I think that's where the definition or where we can derive the concept of the natural law. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, briefly in the beginning that there's uh, three types of laws that exist in God and uh, in general, I think it, it's good to point out that the word law, uh, as Aquinas says, it's or uh, the the word law, it's uh, something that uh, it's an an ordinance an ordinance of human reason or an ordinance of reason that is emanated by the person in authority. So God, you know, it's you know you know being in reality itself. And within himself, there are three laws that exist. The first one, it's God's eternal law, which is just divine providence. It's divine positive law, which is his revealed salvation history, and uh, which can only be known by him revealing himself. And lastly, the natural law, which is man's and uh, uh, nature's participation in the eternal law, which is itself a participation in the mind of God. So... The natural law is tied to something's nature and says that, you know, so we all have natures, uh, whether it be something like human nature or even a clock, which we create, which we would call a human artifact. You know, everything. Uh, so humans are or the nature of humans is that we are rational. You know, that's what makes us human. The concept of a clock, it's to tell time. And we can say that everything else has its proper nature. The natural law is concerned with fulfilling our nature, and it's uh, particularly interested in the concept of animated beings, such as plants, animals, and human beings. And I would say with a specific emphasis on humans, since 
not only are we animated, but we are rational. We can think and we can abstract concepts. Um, so in order for an animal or, or a human to, to survive, for example, we need to eat uh, since eating is the means which sustains us. If we don't eat, we are frustrating our nature. Uh, this goes with a lot of other things such as our sexual as well as our intellectual kind of aspects of our nature. They are all directed to a specific end, such as truth in regard to our intellect and reproduction and union in marriage between a male and a female in regard to sex. So I would say this is specifically in a nutshell what the natural law entails. So, so what, what are some of the sources for the natural law? I think, uh, you know, that you just mentioned yeah. right now, what are some of the sources? Yeah, so there's various kind of primary as well as other secondary sources that touch upon the natural law. Uh, the primary sources, I would go with uh, Aristotle and his ethics, Aquinas, uh, both in his commentary to Aristotle's ethics, as well as his Summa uh, uh, Theologica, as well as his Summa Contra Gentilis. Um, the Bible in Romans 2, which mentions that the natural law is written in the heart, uh, and in secondary sources, there's like the Catholic Encyclopedia, which uh, has a plethora of sources touching upon the natural law in one way or another, including lying uh, uh, in regards to our sexual and intellectual appetite. I would read the, the works by, by uh, Dr. Edward Facer, as well as uh, Dr. Buczewski. Um, I would say uh, uh, these are some of like the best sources I've seen. Let me ask you a question. Uh, 500 years ago, the Aztecs in, in uh, what's considered what's called Mexico now, they didn't have access to the Ten Commandments. They didn't have access to a Bible. They didn't have access to a catechism. Uh, yet they practiced cannibalism. They practiced uh, open sodomy. It was a sodom. It was a homosexual culture. They practiced human sacrifice in the pyramids. Um, <clears throat> so. They obviously never, they weren't, uh, you know, they didn't go through an RCIA program. They didn't have the benefit of reading the Ten Commandments 1 to 10. Do you believe that the Aztecs knew that what they were doing was wrong? Or was it just, uh, was it just part of the culture that they grew up in? So uh, they, there's, uh, there would be no culpability, no, no, no sin in, to, in what they're doing. Or would you say that they were guilty and they're without excuse because of the natural law. I would go with the latter because the natural law reveals these things. I would say a lot of the depravity, let's say like in uh, how you mentioned in, in regards to the Aztecs or even Carthaginian culture, uh, it's, you know, uh, they might know what well, the natural law is knowable. So they could have known it. A lot of it has to do with the nature of sin, specifically since they, you know, apart from like, uh, Jew, uh, the Jewish and, you know, our Christian Catholic culture, you know, they didn't have the sacraments. So with that, obviously, even though they could have known the natural law, and some of them obviously did, uh, from an individual perspective, uh, I would say the absence of, you know, uh, they live in a fallen human nature. So, and then specifically with the absence of the sacraments, um, even though it's possible to know the natural law, it's much much harder uh aquinas has 
perhaps even impossible if you don't have any grace in general. Um, with that being said, I would say that this actually touches into one of the chapters of the book that I wrote in regards to uh, in, in regards to how uh, how uh, it's part of the nature of the natural law that we ought to worship God. So the very fact that, you know, let's say Carthagian and even the Asa cultures, which were removed from kind of the European culture, so they didn't have any contact with, you know, Jewish or in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, they, you know, and the catechism mentions that uh, throughout or throughout history in general, man has been a religious being. So the very fact that they offered sacrifice, uh, even human sacrifice as depraved as it was, at least they had some implicit knowledge that they needed to sacrifice. And specifically, uh, you know, in the Aztec, and even I believe the Carthagian culture, the, the kind of the uh, mythos or the idea was that if you stop doing uh, sacrifice such as uh, human sacrifice it throws the the created order into disarray so obviously they didn't have the benefit of revealed religion and as to what true sacrifice was but they still had an implicit knowledge that sacrifice in general uh, was demanded by God even though it was depraved in the way they were doing it you know it's an interesting Arturo you you mentioned uh, you mentioned that the even people who are baptized Catholics, say like the Italian mafia, they uh, the true religion has been revealed to them, the ones that are Catholics. And I say that because a couple of years ago, I was talking to an, uh, about a 90-year-old priest from Chicago. And he told me, he was already in his mid-90s, he told me that he, became, or he was ordained a priest around the age of 20, 24, 25 and he told me that he was a young priest in Chicago under the, uh, under the reign of El Capone, who was one of the most famous mobsters in Chicago for the Italian mafia, the La Cosa Nostra. And he told me, he told me, this old priest, he's like 95, he said, Jess, El Capone, although he was a very bad man, he, he did understand the natural law uh, because if he didn't like you, or, or if you double-crossed him, but he liked you, uh, he would uh, he would pick you up in a limousine. He would have a priest in the back seat, and he would have the priest hear your confession. Then they would drop the priest off at the rectory, and then El Capone and his mob they would go and execute you after they allowed you to uh, uh, go to confession to a Catholic priest. Back this was back in the 40s and 50s. He said, but if El Capone didn't like you, what he would do is he would buy uh, he would rent a room for you in a five-star hotel. He'd get you a hooker and he'd put all kinds of drugs and alcohol in the room. And he would say, hey, you've done a good job. I just want to give you a little reward this weekend. Uh, go to room such and so, such. Here's your key. And Al Capone would tell his hitmen, give the guy 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, he'll be naked with the hooker. N kick the door down, put a gun to his head and, and, and shoot him in the head and tell him right before. Al Capone says you die in mortal sin. And execute him. So even Al Capone and his demented, unevangelized, you know, lukewarm criminal mentality, he knew. He knew the Ten Commandments. He knew about, uh, you know, thou shall, the Sixth and Ninth Commandment, thou shall not commit adultery. He knew 
the consequences of, of spurning God's law and dying in mortal sin, he made sure he sent his enemies to hell. Uh, but uh, having said that, let me ask you, how can the notion of the natural law help us in sharing our Catholic faith with others? Yeah, of course. Uh, and then right, right before I answered that question, I think you, you actually brought a good point um, because, you know, I, I think you mentioned it that before the 50s, you know, all government buildings or almost all of them had the Ten Commandments displaced. And I think one of the fallacious arguments I've heard both from non-Catholics and even Hold Catholics. Hold that thought, Arturo. Hold that thought. We're going to go yeah. to a hard break. Hold that okay, thought. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be right back. Jess Romero, Arturo Ortiz. We're talking about his new book. You can get it, pick it up at Amazon. His new book is called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained by Arturo Ortiz. Pick it up at Amazon.com. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 888- Five two six two one five one. Jesus nine one one. Jess Romero. I'm here with Arturo Ortiz. He wrote a book. It's called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. You can pick it up from Amazon.com. I've known Arturo since he was uh, oh, at least for ten years when he was a teenager, and I always noticed something different about him. And what I meant by what I mean by that is I noticed that he's serious. He he was serious about his relationship with God. And he was serious about knowing his Catholic faith and sharing it with others. And uh, so it's no surprise to me that he's written a book. And it's no surprise to me that he'll write, he'll write many more. And as you can tell, he's very articulate. Arturo, it, 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 uh, I'll look up the case, but it was actually back in, uh, in 1980 when the U.S. Supreme Court removed the Ten Commandments from public school. So the Ten Commandments have not been in any public classroom since, well, 90, 2000, 2010. Yeah, for 43 years, the, yeah. the, 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 the uh, Ten Commandments have not been in any public school for any student to see for the last 43 years. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, and, and, and we wonder why there's such chaos and violence in public schools. We wonder why there's such anarchy in public schools. Well, if you teach a kid, a teenager, that's uh, maybe doesn't come from a Christian household, if you're telling them Monday through Friday that they come from monkeys, we come from Darwinian evolution, you take away the Ten Commandments, what type of behavior do you expect from that kid? Tell him he comes from animals, tell him he comes from a monkey, take away the Ten Commandments, and are we surprised? with all the rampant violence in public schools. But let's go back to your question that I was asking you. How can the notion of the natural law help us share our Catholic faith? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was, uh, I'll answer the question. And the reason I brought up that case, it, it's just because if you really think about it, um, you know, a lot of the fallacious arguments about the removal of the, of the natural law, and this will come back in specifically in how we can know the natural law from human reason. It's that, you know, a lot of, the kind of the fallacious arguments in its removal with specifically in regards to, you know, how it affects the establishment clause about promoting religion. Uh, and then I've heard this even from like priests or, or just Catholics in general. Um, but if you really think about it, since the Ten Commandments are part of the natural law, you're actually just promoting the natural law 
revealed religion or or natural reason. So it's not, you know, it would be different saying, let's say, all government buildings having a placard that, you know, that that show the perpetual virginity of Mary or the divinity of Christ. But the natural law uh, presupposes the Ten Commandments. And yeah, I bring that up specifically for the next question you asked me, which is how can the natural law help, help us in sharing our faith? And I would argue that it can help us in the same way that studying natural theology or, or philosophy uh, applied to the, the natural knowledge of God, the natural proofs for the existence of God and as creation can help us. This is true regarding uh, let's say uh, the school associated with Thomas or more St. Thomas Aquinas. Studying the natural law and studying natural theology helps us to make sense of God and his commandments. This is true in regards to St. Anselm's quote, faith-seeking understanding. God is free to do as he pleases, but he is also infinitely true and good. What this means is that things are not good because God does them, although they do derive their goodness from, from him. But God fundamentally does things because they are good. Uh, what this means is that God has a rational, rational plan that includes everything in it, ranging from the existence of things to grace, predestination, and any other thing. Knowing God's rational plan for reality itself and the plan uh, that is included in it, helps us to have a much better understanding of the faith, but also of why God created us. And, and so I would say that this can also help us in evangelizing others by showing God's goodness and order in creation. Let me ask you a question, Arturo. Give me some examples of, of how some commandments are purely based on natural law. Yeah, so uh, there's a, a few cases uh, specifically that I, or, or concrete commandments that I can think of. Uh, one of them is obviously, if, as we mentioned, in regards to kind of the sixth and ninth commandment in regards to sex. You know, uh, scripture makes it clear that God's creation is good. You know, this is uh, throughout the just the first chapter of Genesis, there's about four or five or even more times where it says God looked God looked at what he created and behold, it was not only good, but very good. And uh, so I, the question is, why why do people engage in sex? It can't just be for pleasure since pleasure doesn't define something as good. Rather, something is pleasurable insofar as it is good. And so God created or 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 the sexual aspect of our nature for, uh, for it to be both procreative as well as unitive, specifically in the context of marriage between a male and a female, uh, since this is the only natural way in which uh, you can have kids, but also in, in it's all, um, Aristotle um, says that uh, uh, a friendship and love, it's or a friendship is an excess of love, and C.S. Lewis expands on this in, in showing that uh, marriage is of such a nature that it, it is exclusive to a male and a female. Uh, but going back to a, a thing being pleasurable versus good, a thing is pleasurable to get us to want to engage in that activity. Food is tastes good in order to get us to eat, which is required for our sustenance. Sex is likewise pleasurable to get us to engage in it, but the 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 goodness of something it's the end to which something is directed. 
sexual activity, as we uh, mentioned, is uh, directed towards uh, reproduction and union between a husband and a wife. Uh, I would say this is true in regards to the commandment and in regards to lying as well. You know, we our, our intellects are ordered towards the giving of, or they're ordered towards truth. A lie is a, de a deprivation because it is telling a falsehood uh, to someone who is entitled to the truth. Uh, stealing is likewise contrary to the natural law for there is the existence of private, private, uh, private property, which is uh, the origins as uh, Pope Leo XIII and the natural law tradition explains. It's God or it, it's humans participating in their intellectual uh, nature and bringing about something uh, from substances that God created, but we are making something new out of them. So, uh, and then we we get things either by creating it or purchasing it from someone else that created it with us with our money. So stealing is contrary to the natural law uh, because it's taking someone's natural possession. Uh, I would say these are some of the concrete ways uh, by which you can see uh, how, you know, basically all of the Ten Commandments are based on just natural revelation from God. Let me ask you a question. Uh how does this tie into into marriage and the purpose of our sexual faculties? Yeah, uh, so this goes furthermore in uh, regards to what we mentioned. Uh, so marriage itself, uh, Aristotle says that a friendship is specifically uh, an excess of love. So the, the to go deeper, he kind of uh, breaks this down into different types of friendship. There is... Um, in in, a, in its most basic level, there's what you could define as a business relationship, which is just all friendships are based on a good. Uh, a business partnership, it's based on a union of persons just to engage in some type of uh, kind of a practical good. But the highest form of friendship, you know, the more intimate the friendship, the more exclusive it becomes. And this is where C.S. Lewis in his chapter under Four Loves goes into showing the difference between Venus, which is kind of uh, our uh, or sexual uh, pleasure and Eros, which is it directs sexual pleasure in, in regards to the good. And so uh, the purpose of marriage is both to unite the spouses, but it is furthermore uh, to be reproductive and to bring forth children, both uh, into this world and furthermore as a Christian into the kingdom of God. Arturo, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but uh, I want you to just to kind of repeat what you said. Explain the difference between a lie and mental reservation. Like, uh, for example, if uh, the Germans come over to your house in 1940 and you're hiding some Nazis in your basement and they say, Arturo Ortiz, we hear that you got some Nazis in your basement. Yeah. And you say, uh, Mr. Third Reich, uh, Mr. SS soldiers. No, no, nobody's there. Uh, the house is empty. And then they leave <clears throat> while well, you lied to the uh, to the SS to the secret police of Hitler, uh, but you saved a bunch of Nazis, uh, a bunch of Jews that were in your basement uh, from being gassed. So tell us the difference between a lie and mental reservation. Yeah, so I, I feel like that's kind of the, the argument that almost everyone brings in regards to a lie, and I feel that a lot of people that bring about the the example that you just gave. Uh, try to do it or 
I feel like a lot of them might honestly be confused, but I think a lot of them also kind of uh, try to trap you into justifying, you know, a lie. So all lies are bad. A, a lie is something said that differs from what one is thinking about or which conveys a message uh, that is not in conformity with what reality is. But it should be noted that the person at hand also has a right to that information. So in a lie, there's a discrepancy from what is being said and the thing at hand. And as we, or as I mentioned, our intellects are directed towards the truth. And so a lie is contrary to natural law since it is frustrating the end to which our intellects are directed. Uh, this is, so this is, mental reservation uh, is, it should be, uh, I'm not gonna get into specifically the details, but it, uh, it's divided into a lawful mental reservation and strict mental reservation. So what we're kind of addressing here is a wide mental reservation, which is uh, lawful and it's not a lie. And so it should be noted that in order for a mental reservation to be lawful, we must be talking in a way that is equivocal, meaning it can have multiple legitimate meanings and which is in conformity with external circumstances. Hold so if so... Good, good answer. I like it. Continue on that answer. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Going to hard break. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, I've got uh, my good friend Arturo Ortiz. I've known him for years, since he was a teenager. I saw something different in this young man very early on. I saw fire in his eyes, uh, and I can just tell that God, he was going to be a mighty, a, a mighty weapon in the hands of God. And uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely, uh, he's kept his promises. He just wrote a book. It's called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. You can get it from Amazon.com, Amazon.com. The book is called The Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. Amazon.com, Amazon.com. Let's talk about, uh, Arturo, you're talking about the difference between a lie and mental reservation. Uh, you said that, I like the, what the, you said. You said uh, the question you asked, does that party, for example, the Nazis, the example that I gave you, do they have a right to that information? I like, I like that rhetorical question. Go ahead, continue. Yeah, uh, so I, I mentioned how all lies are bad because they're it's based both on people that have a right to the information and it's also saying something that differs from what you're actually thinking or or that is different from external circumstances. Now it should be said, for example, in in a mental reservation, there it's a a means of speaking equivocally, which simply means there's multiple true meanings. Um, as opposed to univocally, where, where there's only one meaning. But uh, the other thing, it's an example of the Nazis that a lot of people bring up, well, whether because they're trying to understand what a lie is or they're trying to trap you into justifying a lie. In regards to someone breaking into your house, uh, trying to murder, let's say, uh, an innocent Jewish man or, or any other person you may be hiding, uh, what they're asking you uh when they're saying if you have a friend in your house there's actually a spoken request and an unspoken request the spoken request is is there someone in your house but the unspoken request are actually asking you is so that we may murder an innocent man uh 
So if you say no, you're actually not lying both because you're not entitled to that information, as well as the fact that what you're saying no to, it's not, I mean, first and foremost, maybe he's not even there physically anymore. Maybe he ran into the backyard or whatnot. But the other thing is you're actually also saying no to their unspoken request, which is that we may murder him, which they don't have any right to. So I would say this is where the difference between a mental reservation, it's you're not lying because they're not entitled to the information, but you're also speaking in a way that is equivocal and can have uh, you know, multiple true meanings, as well as you, you, you're saying you're kind of also looking at someone's unspoken request that is in of itself sinful and you're denying that. Ah, I like that. Yeah, you're denying somebody's sinful request. That's good. So how is abortion and euthanasia opposed to the natural law? Yeah, so I would uh, so in regards to this, this is uh, because, you know, God is the author of human life. And so to kind of bring about a lot of people are kind of scandalized when they read scripture and, you know, uh, God commanding the death of all the Amalekites or and even, you know, I think uh, the women, children or whatnot. But the thing to understand is that God is the author of human life and he has to and only he has the right to take our life in whatever way he sees fit. But only he has that right because God gave us life we didn't give ourselves life nor did we give someone else life so you know something like abortions obviously contrary to natural law for the for the same way murder is since abortion is murder you know murder is the innocent of a of it's the killing of an innocent person whether done by an individual or unlawfully by state killing someone that was actually proven to be innocent abortion is the killing of a conceived being in the womb namely a fetus, which is a living organism independent of the mother. You know, it is uh, a, a baby, even though it has not been born, it is already conceived and it is, the, the life is independent of the mother. Likewise, euthanasia, uh, like suicide, you know, it, you know, we don't have the right to take our own life. Uh, obviously, that's not to say there aren't uh, circumstances that diminish our culpability. A lot of in regards to this, it's in regards to, and even abortion, a lot of it, it's, you know, the, the husband or, or a family member pressuring someone to commit suicide or euthanasia or abortion, but it doesn't do away with the objectivity of the action itself, which is that only God has the right to take life away or to give life. Uh, that's why even things like in uh conception uh, is, is contrary to natural law, because even though it's, scientifically scientifically possible to you know bring about life in some type of uh circumstance that is uh kind of like in a, a petri dish or or just kind of like a controlled environment uh the thing people need to understand is that just because something is possible whether scientifically or physically doesn't uh bring about a moral right to do so arturo this is kind of a big one uh the protestants and the catholics we have kind of a different set of Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the abbreviated form of Ten Commandments, we abbreviate them differently. The Protestants, they have the Ninth and Ten Commandment together. And we as Catholics, we separate the Ninth and Ten Commandment. Uh, they seem similar, but, but uh, the Ninth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's spouse. Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's you know, 
donkey, horse, etc., or, or belongings. So what's the difference between the ninth and the tenth commandments since they seem since they seem similar since both of them say do not covet. In other words, yeah. do, not de- do not desire something that's not yours. Yeah. Uh, so in order, um, I'll answer that and then just kind of a brief note. I actually just recently saw that the reason that uh, the Protestant and Orthodox have the same Ten Commandments and the Catholics have a different set, it simply has to do with the breakdown of, uh, so we use St. Augustine's uh, breaking down of the Ten Commandments, whereas uh, Protestants, which is funny because what they're actually using, it's uh, origins, which is a, a early church fathers breaking down of the Ten Commandments. So when Protestants are like, oh, you're using the wrong Ten Commandments, or even if we say they're using the wrong Ten Commandments, they're both, you know, uh, fine. Uh, so obviously, like, I, I just say that because like, uh, you know, they were both early church fathers. But yeah. uh, to get back into the the question, it's specifically the ninth and the tenth commandments uh, both have the uh, the way I phrased it is they both have the same genus, but they have a, a a different species. The genus that they share it's in regards to sense of the thought or or desires, and the species or what makes them different. It's the the object that they have in mind. The ninth commandment has to do with uh, disordered desires uh, in regards to our or our sexual appetite, whereas the the tenth commandment is specifically uh, concerned with the object of greed and avarice. So I would say that's what makes them similar and different from each other. Um, so uh, things like modesty, chastity, you know, all of these have to do with the ninth commandment. Whereas avarice, envy, uh, have to do with the tenth, the tenth commandment. And Protestants, they they conflate both of them. They, they almost make the spouse equal to property and possessions. Whereas Catholics, we see a, a distinction. We use Saint Augustine's abbreviation, where there's definitely a distinction between coveting somebody else's spouse and coveting somebody else's car. There's a big distinction between a human person and an object. And the Protestants, they conflate both in their abbreviated form. And by the way, Origen fell into heresy in his later years. Uh, we call it the heresy of Originism, where he started promoting uh, you know, universal salvation, that at the end of somebody's life, that everybody, everybody will be saved at the end, even demons. So, yes. uh, yeah, you definitely don't, uh, you don't want to use Origen as your source. We'd rather use St. Augustine. So, Arturo, where can people go to find more of your work? Uh, the, the main area, uh, right now it's a website I started not too long ago, splendidtruth.com and then also my YouTube channel with the same name. Um, I'm trying to do a lot more research to hopefully come up with more content. I have, uh, videos and articles, uh, and hopefully I, uh, I'll be able to do more books, uh, sometime soon as well. Well, I hope also that you put yourself in a position as a Catholic teacher. We need good Catholic teachers out there in our high schools and our middle schools and even colleges. I hope that's somewhere in your future because you got a good, you got a good mind, brother. And uh, thank you. And we need good teachers because we have a lot of bad teachers right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be negative, but we do. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you're on the wrong, you're on the right side of all the issues. So how can people get a hold of your book, Arturo? Uh, right, right now, the main one, it's uh, amazon.com. Uh, so I have a, both a Kindle and a, a paperback that 
that they can get. And once again, just the name of the book is the Ten Commandments Simplified and Explained. So, uh, any uh, you got about uh, a minute left? What would you like to share with the audience? Yeah, I would say uh, definitely if you're interested in knowing the faith specifically from an intellectual perspective, and especially uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas sometimes can feel intimidated to people. So there's a book I would recommend if people want a kind of uh, an easy to an easy intro to the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, and that's Aquinas, A Beginner's Guide by Dr. Edward Facer. It's a very short book, and yeah. uh, I feel like once you read that, and maybe perhaps read Aristotle and his ethics, um, St. Thomas Aquinas will become much more of a breeze to read. Yeah, uh, the last thing I would say is this about the Ten Commandments. Uh, they're a summary of the natural law that God has placed in, in the human heart, and so everybody, Jew and Gentile, we will be without excuse at our particular judgment, according to St. Paul. And I think the reason, Arturo, that a lot of people don't, can't apprehend the natural law that God has placed in the human heart is because of sin. We know that sin, yeah. it, it darkens the intellect. We know that sin weakens the will. Uh, in, in, in other words, to make it very simple, sin makes you stupid. And so, yeah. and, and so, uh, as a result of sin, we can't see the obvious. Uh, any comments about that? No, yeah, I completely agree. So one has to do with uh, kind of knowing things naturally, but also you need to be free of all sin, both mortal and trying to strive not for venial. So the 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 closer you are to the to the sacraments, to confession, the more you receive the Eucharist and adoration. I remember Fulton Sheen said that when people heard him speak, it wasn't him speaking, but God speaking through him from all the holy hours he did in adoration. Wow, wow. Arturo, thank you very much, my friend. Uh, right, thank uh, you. Uh, congratulations, and we'll have you on again. Uh, God right, thank you. Say, say hi to all the Brotherhood of St. Dismas down in Southern California. Uh, Give them my regards. Sure right. will. You got it. Uh, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Jesus 911. Up next... Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next. Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, uh, we are out. End of watch. God bless you. Keep the faith. Remember, pray your rosary every single day, not just in the month of October, every single day for the rest of your life. God bless you. Keep the faith. Viva Cristo Rey.